Welcome everyone to episode 211 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek and today we are going to preview March Madness for all of you like me who do not pay attention to college basketball. Up until now, we'll tell you who to watch for with the NBA lens in mind. Before we get kicked off, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles to give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going great, Brian. Um, it, it's that time of year where uh, <laughs> I can I can really feel that the summer is starting nice and easy. You can walk outside without a jacket. It's nice. That, that just brightens my day, man. It's, it's the time of year that Georgetown usually serves up crippling disappointment, but luckily they missed the <laughs> tournament this year, so I get to watch them lose in the NIT to Harvard tonight instead. We also have a special guest on today. Uh, Ricky O'Donnell, the college basketball editor of SB Nation, is here to help walk us through all the prospects you need to know about. So, Ricky, how's it going, man? I'm good, guys. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Uh, before we get underway can you let our listeners know where they can find you on twitter and obviously they can find you on sp nation but anything you want to plug uh especially in regard to the tournament yeah i would say you could just find all of our ncaa tournament coverage at sbnation.com we're going to be doing a lot especially over the next four days as the first two rounds of the tournament kick off uh you can find me on twitter as well at sbn underscore ricky very good. Give Ricky a follow. He's a great resource both for college basketball and also if you are a self-hating Bulls fan, he has some of the best Bulls takedowns on the internet. So, Ricky, let's start with the Duke kids because obviously they're the big story really of the tournament. They have been the whole year. Let's start with Zion, who came back for the ACC tournament, looked like he hasn't missed a beat. Is there any question in your mind that Zion is going to be the number one pick? in June. Is there anything that could happen in the next couple of weeks, barring like a catastrophic injury uh, that will not have him as the number one pick? Here's how big the gap is between him and the next best prospect in this draft. I think he could suffer a catastrophic injury and still go number one easily. If he <laughs> ruptures his Achilles, God forbid, or tears his ACL, I mean, he's still going to go number one. There's no one else who's even in the same stratosphere as Zion Williamson in this class. To me, the only debate is how does Zion compare to the other top draft prospects of the decade? Like at this point, you have to grade him against history, not against present terms. So, you know, the more interesting question to me is, would you take him over Luka Doncic? Would you take him over, uh, you know, Anthony Davis as a prospect? Uh, Questions like that, because there's just a massive gap between Zion and anyone else in this class. I think that that's a two-way street. It's both because Zion has been so absolutely incredible, both uh, with the eye test and statistically. You know, his, his numbers just totally back up the greatness that you see in the highlights. And then it also speaks to the fact that so many of the other top freshmen in this draft class have disappointed throughout the year, uh, starting with his, his two teammates, RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish. But Uh, To me, you know, whatever any of those other freshmen in this class have lost, whatever juice they've lost going throughout the year, Zion has just gained it because he's absolutely incredible. I think that, you know, there is an argument to be made that he's the best prospect to hit the draft since LeBron. Um, He's been that good, both offensively and defensively. And, you know, what, what stands out to me is like, 
I've been covering Zion since he was entering his senior year of high school. I flew out to Colorado to watch a USA basketball camp uh, that brought the top 60 high school players in the country into Colorado Springs, compete against each other. It's one of my favorite camps to go to every year. And I went there, you know, with writing a thing on Zion in mind. And, you know, what I came away with from that was like, you know, this guy's incredible, but there's just so many questions about how someone with this weight, with this height, you know, a guy who's 6'6", but weighs 280 pounds is a 17-year-old who can't shoot. (laughs) How does this guy fit into the modern NBA? Well, what has happened since he's gotten into Duke is that Zion hasn't really answered those questions. He's just made him totally irrelevant. Like, those questions don't even (laughs) matter anymore. What position does Zion play? Who cares? Just give him the ball and get out of the way because no one can stop him. (laughs) What position does he defend? Well, he defends all of them. It doesn't really matter. So uh, he's just blown up every single, you know, question we had of him coming from the high school level to the college level. And to me... He's just so much fun to watch. He's like one of the most likable prospects in addition to being one of the most talented as well. He seems like a great teammate. Uh, You know, he's he's third on his own team in shot attempts per game, but you'd never know that given the way he carries himself because uh, he just really has a selfless attitude on the court. I, I just can't say enough good things about him. I think he's tremendous. Yeah, you you answered all my big questions about him from the NBA side of, you know, like should you be worried about the weight and the height? you know what yeah what position does he play but as you said it it doesn't matter and the nba has trended toward this positionless revolution for the last couple of years anyway so it, it, i mean from everything i've seen of him it i don't know why he wouldn't be the number one pick as well it's just like there are certain circumstances in which a team may entertain trading him say for anthony davis or like you know if a team has a completely crowded front court and whatever um that'll be interesting to watch but yeah it seems like if you're just watching the tournament for nba stuff watch duke just because of zion but also let's you mentioned his two other teammates uh rj barrett and cam reddish both of whom i feel like came into the year you know it it basically seemed like duke was going to have the top three kids in this draft and now barrett in particular it seems like he might be in that number two mix still uh, but Reddish seems like he slipped a lot. So what's happening with those two guys and what can they do in the tournament that would you know, make NBA scouts, decision makers, whatever, go back in favor of them? Yeah, Barrett's super productive. Uh, he's averaging 23 points, seven rebounds, and four assists coming into the tournament. So it's hard to you know knock that production, but it almost reminds me a little bit of Marvin Bagley last year, where it's like he put up huge numbers at the college level, but it's like, what is his impact on winning going to be? I think Marvin Bagley found a perfect situation in Sacramento where they just leverage his speed and athleticism, beat people down the court. He had a big game last night. He's had a pretty impressive rookie year. I would say that he has been better than a lot of the nerds on Twitter thought he would be at the NBA level, especially right away. (laughs) Yeah, Barrett is a little bit – he's a different player for sure. The question with Barrett is just his efficiency. He is so prone to playing hero ball when he has the most talented supporting cast in the country that it really just raises your eyebrows in terms of like, can this guy be more than a volume scorer in the NBA? And if he is just a volume scorer, how much does that really work? Uh, I mean, just based on the simple statistic that he's taking 19 shots a game when Zion's taking 12 and a half, 
is just totally ridiculous. It's like, obviously, Zion Williamson is the best college player maybe of all time. I don't think that that's hyperbole, uh, at least in the last 30 years. So why is Barrett still programmed like he's the alpha dog on this team? If you follow him on Instagram, he started calling himself Maple Mamba, which is a reference to his Kobe Bryant fandom and the fact that he grew up in Canada. Now, to me, this whole generation of players, you can throw Wiggins in there. You can throw a lot of young wings who've come up through the draft. They're going to be a lot better once they start modeling themselves after Kawhi Leonard Mm. instead of off Kobe Bryant. Kobe, you know, while we're not going to debate Kobe here, but it's just like (laughs) Kobe's just not the best player to model your game after, I feel like, especially in this era of the league when it's more about – sharing the ball and less about being the biggest dog in the yard, so to speak. So the thing with Barrett, here's a great stat. Don't tweet this because I'm gonna. I've been meaning to do it all day, but I've been busy. People will, some people who don't watch a lot of college basketball or who are more NBA guys or who heard of Barrett's preseason hype as the number one prospect in the draft will say that Barrett's game is more NBA ready than Williamson's just because he looks more conventional. And then they'll point to Barrett's shooting ability being superior. Zion currently has a higher three-point percentage than Barrett. Zion's <laughs> shooting 31.5% and Barrett's shooting 30%. Granted, Barrett's made 66 and Zion's only made 17, so Barrett's volume has been way higher. But that's the whole issue with Barrett, is that he's a chucker. He has tunnel vision. There are so many clips you can find of him trying to go three-on-one uh, on offense instead of actually being able to survey the court and make the easy pass. I think if you want the positive spin on RJ Barrett, like I remember when I was watching him at the high school level, I was watching him at the EYBL, which is Nike's AAU league. Uh, I was sitting next to a scout and I'm like, you know, what do you think about Barrett? Do you think he lives up to the hype? He's like, you know what? He reminds me a lot of Shabazz Muhammad, who was the number one overall recruit in the 2012 draft or 2012 high school class and ended up basically flaming out at UCLA and then into the NBA. I think there is a difference between Barrett and Shabazz though. And that's that Shabazz was a year or two older than everyone. And Barrett's young. Barrett's one of the younger players in the draft. He reclassified uh, to, to just to be in college right now. He's actually still a month older than Zion, which lets you know how young and how dominant Zion is. But Barrett is young. Uh, And I think, you know, if you want the ideal version of R.J. Barrett, I would like to see him in a point guard role. Even though he Mm -hmm. hasn't flashed the playmaking chops to do it yet, but he's still so young. And he's obviously NBA ready in terms of his physicality. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that he will be, you know, playable in the league right away. It's just like, to me, like, the way he's playing right now is like DeMar DeRozan without the explosiveness. So DeRozan still had a great career. Young DeRozan was a totally freak athlete, though, whereas Barrett is not at all, I don't think. Uh, So I would like to see him develop his playmaking skills a little bit, put him on the ball, because especially with his broke-ass jumper, it's like, (laughs) how do you hide someone with a lack of a jump shot at the NBA level? I almost think the best way to use him is on the ball. You either have to be a 5 or a (laughs) 1, almost, if you can't shoot. And I feel like I would just groom Barrett to be a point guard. Like, if the Bulls were to draft R.J. Barrett, I would be like, let's just do a little three-year point guard plan on this guy, right? Like, just <laughs> see if he could yeah. handle it. Because off the ball, I don't love him off the ball uh, because yeah. of his 
lack of shooting ability and because uh, he's basically been raised his whole life as like, I'm going to be a 30-point-per-game NBA scorer. Well, here's the thing, buddy. The level of difficulty <laughs> just increases so highly once you get to this level that I think that while he's still talented and you know he do- there is a lot to like about his game, uh, he really needs to flesh out uh, his facilitating chops, his vision, his playmaking ability to reach his potential. That's very. I think I saw him like make some more passes when Sion was out that I never saw from Shabazz. So I, I get the the the, the comparison. I, I do think Barrett is probably more so of a playmaker, but I agree with you entirely that he hasn't shown or hasn't lived up rather to to basically the reputation he had coming in because I, I remember seeing him play for Canada when he was like I don't know 16, 17 years old, and all the hype was here. Here's here's this next all playmaking wing who can create for himself and others. And we just haven't seen that. We've seen a guy, like you said, Ricky, with just tunnel mission and, and jacking up long twos and just hasn't been able to convert from the free point line or even three for a line. Like he's basically inefficient everywhere. Yeah. And you know, you still have to credit him for his production, I think. And when you look at his production right. times, his age, he could still be the second best prospect in this draft. Like, I really don't like anyone in the top 10 outside of Zion. I mean, you, you know, you can go down you can go down through the list of players. And there's, there are some good guys, but it's like everyone, to me, just has glaring holes in their game. The question at the NBA level is like, who's going to answer it the best or who's going to render that question meaningless? Uh, so I think that Barrett still has a chance to be a really mm-hmm. good player. I think he can be an all-star. Uh, I would like to see him, you know, like if he could develop his vision a little bit and just get his pull-up shooting at least in mid-range, like I think he could have the potential to be a Jimmy Butler potentially type of player. But also like Barrett, while having the physicality to defend, just hasn't really been a great defensive player at Duke. His block and steal rates are pretty pathetic, uh, you know, given the rest of his production offensively. So... I don't know. I don't. I don't love R.J. Barrett uh, as a prospect. I think he's been a disappointment. But Reddish has been even more of a disappointment to me. Reddish is just a disaster. I saw him at that same USA camp and wrote a story on him uh, when I also wrote about Zion. And I had Reddish as the number one player in my preseason mock draft that I published the day after the 2018 draft. Uh, the thing with Cam Reddish is. He's so much better hypothetically than he is tangibly. Like on paper, he looks like he should be a great basketball player, but it turns out he just kind of sucks. Uh, and it's it's tough. Like I don't like saying this because I I like Cam Reddish. I've talked to him a few times. He's a really nice, nice guy. It seems like he should have no excuse, uh, you know, to finish a game against UNC in the ACC semifinals. Three of seven for six points. The game before that against Syracuse, seven points on seven shots. Even when he puts up a good game like he did against North Carolina at the end of the regular season, he scored 23, but he went six of 23 to get there. Uh, Mm. He, I don't think, is high basketball IQ. I think his feel for the game is really underdeveloped. He has no explosion in terms of the paint. This guy can't score from two-point range at all. He's shooting below 40% from the field on two-pointers this year what he does have is length three-point shooting ability and the ability to get out in the passing lanes and cause steals his steal rate is really solid solid 3.0 which is typically a good uh marker of nba success 
his three-point shot has fallen off a bit, but he's going to be able to shoot threes in the NBA, I think. He's only shooting a shade below 33% at the college level. He's a high-volume three-point shooter with length who should be able to defend multiple positions. It's like you can talk yourself into him really easily. The problem is he just hasn't been good. I mean, he's been like noticeably like <laughs> bad in these games. Mm. Uh, so I don't know. It's like you can talk yourself into Cam Reddish pretty easily. He was getting I, – I thought he had like Paul George potential coming into this year. Maybe instead he's Robert Covington. Maybe instead he's Otto Porter. But both those guys are high IQ basketball players. So I wonder how that improves as he gets older, playing against tougher competition in a less forgiving environment that is the NBA. He has a lot of question marks to me. I was about to say, there will be no Robert Covington slander on this podcast, even though he is not a sixer anymore. I still love him. But I am excited for the Bulls to draft Cam Reddish. We'll have to have you back on, Ricky, and then you and Mort could just rant for 20 minutes. It's going to be really fun. Um, <laughs> let's talk about some actual, because I know, Mort, you, you're high on a couple guys for the Bulls, wherever they may fall, and you know if they don't get Zion at number one. I know uh, John Morant and then Jarrett Culver, right? Yeah, those are, those are the two guys I, I really like. Uh, I understand, Ricky, that, that Jared Culver is one of your favorites as well. Yeah, I like Culver. And the thing about, you know, the draft, I feel like offense gets really inflated. And, like, when you're projecting a guy at the NBA level in college, it's like you want that guy to be the primary scorer, typically. You think that, you know, if this guy can score 20 points a game in the NBA, he's going to have a better chance or score 20 a game in college and have a better chance at the NBA level to me Culver has all the makings of a really good role player who might not have that superstar potential but you know he could be someone who just elevates the value of his teammates around him like uh Culver really takes nothing off the table I guess his shooting is definitely the biggest question mark with him as it is with a lot of the players in this draft and in most drafts He's only shooting 32% from three-point range. He was just brutal uh, in conference play in the Big 12 from three point li- from the three-point line, 24%. Uh, but, you know, early in the year, he was shooting it better. But to me, Culver, high IQ, two-way player. That's what you're getting with him. Uh, he's someone who could slide all over the lineup. I think he could play the two, the three, or the four. Uh, he's s- just good passer, smart player. He can rebound. He can defend multiple positions. You can probably defend three, maybe even four positions at the NBA level. He's not going to be like a takeover go-to scorer. But if Jared Culver is your third or fourth option, I think you could have a really good team. And to me, he just fits into the, the modern NBA better than someone like Barrett, who sees himself... Like, Barrett, to me, has more star potential probably than Culver, but his floor is so much lower because I just don't see Barrett really being a good role player. Whereas I think Culver could fit into a winning team dynamic, given the fact that he's a high IQ player who plays both ends of the floor, who brings a lot to the table without really taking anything off of it. I read a couple of reports saying that Culver might actually be significantly taller and significantly bigger than what he's listed at. He's currently is that I think it's six, five, one ninety five. With someone even saying that he might actually end up uh, measuring six, almost six eight, is there any truth yeah, I've to seen that? that too. I mean, you're going to find out when they put a tape measure next to him at the draft combine, so it doesn't really <laughs> seem like something worth <laughs> right. speculating over. But it's worth noting that, like you know, Giannis grew 
after he got drafted. Uh, did Paul George grow? I feel like you you hear about this. Every- I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And Embiid yes. allegedly yeah. grew. I think he came in like six seven or something like that, and then now he's like six nine. Yeah, like six, guy, ten. guys do grow sometimes. So I mean, yeah, obviously, if if he could get up to six eight six nine, that would just take Culver's ceiling to a totally different place. But in general, sort of the the thing with Jared Culver is that last year. He was kind of a role player on a Texas Tech team that plays great defense. They're number one defense in the country again this year. Uh, Zaire Smith was a lottery pick for them. They also had a great senior point guard last year whose name was Keenan Evans. Uh, So Culver was, you know, he was just like a role player on that team as a freshman. As a sophomore, he's been like the guy. They basically play him like James Harden. Uh, The whole offense runs through him. Every defense is engineered to stop him. But at the NBA level, it's not going to be that way. No one's going to put him in a go-to scorer role. He's just going to be a guy instead of the guy. And I think that that would help his efficiency in general. And I think that, you know, he's just a winning, smart player who's who's going to do some good things at the NBA level, even if he's not someone who's going to, you know, project as a multiple-time all-star. Maybe, I mean, he could get he could do that, I think, but... Uh, you know, I don't. I don't see him as a primary scoring option in the NBA. I just see him as being a, a good player. Then let's talk about someone who does have some All Star potential, John Morant. Now, obviously, you know there are a lot of split opinions about him because, of particular, in particular, his size or lack thereof. But his playmaking is, from what I gather, very significant, and he's got a knack for scoring. So, what do you see when you when Love you watch Morant, uh, Morant play? Uh, is it, just love watching him. He's such an exciting player. A-plus athlete. Uh, basically, like if you want a picture of John Morant, he plays like Russell Westbrook at the college level. He's going to put up a sky-high usage rate. He actually leads the country in assist rate. He's assisting on 52% of his team's possessions when he's in the game. So he has tremendous wow. court vision. If you want to <laughs> compare his passing ability to someone – recently come out in the draft. Trey Young, I think, is the obvious guy. He might be like half a step below Trey Young, but he's pretty similar in terms of his ability to see the whole court. His ability to fire one-handed passes uh, with either hand is really impressive. Just an unselfish player in general, I think. Uh, so, you know, his court vision is is fantastic. Uh, he's so explosive going to the basket. He also just has like intuitive ways to score. He's only 170, 175 pounds soaking wet. So, you know, he's going to have to add a lot of muscle. A lot of people look at that as a negative. But, like, I wonder, you know, what's he going to look like when he's 24 and he's jacked and he's Mm. 200 pounds of muscle? Then you could Mm. have someone, uh, you know, who maybe might be more of a two-way player. And to me, that's the question. It's like, how much much defensively is he going to give you? Like, And if he's not giving you too much defensively, how much do you want to sell out for his offense? Because he could take you offensively to the next stratosphere, but you look at a lot of these teams, like the Suns, who need a point guard. Like The Suns already have Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, two offense-first players. Do you really need another offense-first player next to them who isn't going to defend much? If you're the Bulls, don't you want Markinen and Levine taking up the majority of your offensive possessions. Uh, do you really need another guy who's going to be, you know, all out on offense and not give you much on defense? So those are the questions I ask. But he also has a pretty impressive steal rate. He's got a 2.5 steal rate, which is good. He's been blocking shots like crazy. Towards the end of the year, he's just been 
spiking people <laughs> yeah. off the glass. It's been really impressive. Uh, I want to say he's blocked like it's something. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but he ended the year blocking like two or three shots every game, basically. Uh, granted, that's in the Ohio Valley, and you have to think the leap from the Ohio Valley to the NBA is just going to be so enormous that whatever team does draft him, even if he goes two or three, you got to have a veteran in there with him, I think, uh, just to take some pressure off him to learn the ropes because the degree, the level of competition he's going to be facing is like, it's comical. It's basically like going from the high school to the NBA. Really? Uh, I think a lot of these like super high school teams, like Barrett came from Montverde, Montverde Academy. Uh, like they probably play a tougher schedule than, <laughs> than Murray state does. I don't think that that's even an argument really. Uh, but the Ohio Valley was pretty good this year too. So maybe it is an argument, but yeah, I think Morant, you know, tremendous shot creator he could take your offense to the next stratosphere the question is how much are you sacrificing defensively also i don't really trust his jump shot he hit 34 percent of his threes i don't like his mechanics though uh so i wonder like he lacks pull-up shooting ability i think he might be really bad defensively at the start of his career at least until he's able to add some strength add some muscle but like his instincts defensively aren't that impressive either in terms of how he gets around screens how he defends in man-to-man situations Uh, But he does have a sliver of superstar potential, there's no doubt. Like, if you're looking for the guy that could be an MVP candidate in this draft, I think that Morant is probably number two behind Zion just because uh, he can really just give any offense such an incredible boost with his playmaking and his uh, driving ability. And Morant's one of those guys, you know, I was saying at the top of the episode, like some guys are naturally going to boost their draft stock in the next couple of weeks, just based on their play in the tournament. And like, since one of the big concerns about him is the caliber of competition he's going against, well, now he's going against power five teams. So like he plays Marquette in the first round with Marcus Howard. He could have Florida state in the second round. He seems like one of those guys where the next few days, even, may go a long way toward answering the questions about like, well, was he just putting up huge numbers against crappy teams? And like, once he plays a real, you know, NBA caliber player, he's smothered or like, Oh, maybe this, like he could just do this against anyone. And that might help his stock. It seems like. Yeah. My only retort to that is that he's already like, for me, like his range is either two or three. Yeah. And that speaks more to the quality of the other players in this draft class. Uh, like, he's no one's going to go number one with Zion. And then, like, it's either him or Barrett. Seem like they're going to go two, three. I could be wrong about that, but that's what it looks like heading into the tournament. So, you know, maybe Culver is the guy who could really jump up because people are projecting him somewhere from like seven or something. And then you're going to get someone like Bull Bull who's going to be doing some crazy stuff in private workouts. Maybe he can jump up. But to me, Moran's status is pretty safe. Now, if he really blows it against Marquette in that game, then maybe we could talk. He, to me, he has more potential to move down mm. uh, than up. But that's going to be the best game of the opening round. If you want to watch one game as an NBA fan in the NCAA tournament tomorrow on Thursday, watch John Morant versus Marcus Howard, Murray State versus Marquette, because that's going to be so much fun. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That was hyped on Twitter as soon as it was announced. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to it. So going to uh, some of the more older players, like, for example, Brandon Clark from Gonzaga. I know you're pretty high on him. I mean, this kid 
you know, 22 or a kid, 22 and a half years old. Maybe that's why he's somewhat low on the draft boards because of his age. But defensively, and the fact that he, that he's improved his jump shot mechanics significantly, like he's so intriguing to me. He he really has very few weaknesses, at least obvious weaknesses. Can you talk a little bit about him, Ricky? Yeah, just elite athlete knows how to play the game. I do wor- wonder about his fit in the NBA. Like I was looking at some mock draft that uh, some Twitter people were doing, and they had him going three. I mean, he's going to be 23 years old as a rookie. Like, to me, he's got some Taj Gibson. He's got some big Taj Gibson energy Mm. to me, uh, which is good, especially in this draft. Like, he's someone who's going to help you win. But I also want to see what he's going to weigh in at. Like, he's so skinny. Like, he might only be 210, 215 pounds. I don't think he's going to be able to play the five in the league. We'll see what his wingspan is. So he might be like 6'8". Let's put him in a 7-foot wingspan with 215 pounds. We could say his shot yeah. mechanics have improved, but he's also made four threes. Like he's he's basically a non-shooter. He could be a shooter right. in a couple of years when he, you know, maybe maybe even next year. I don't know if he really makes that a point of emphasis. Uh, but to think that he's just going to be an NBA level three point shooter for someone who's never been able to hit a three seems kind of crazy to me. With that being said, the guy just dominates at the college level because he is so mentally locked in, and he's such a great quick-twitch athlete. Like, he could guard – I think he could guard guards, like point guards. Like, especially in a switch-heavy league, I think that he could defend point guards, like, easier than he could defend big men. So then the question is, like, where do you put him in an NBA lineup? To me, I'm more interested with the fit question with Brandon Clark. Like, do you put him at the four uh, next to a shot-blocking center? Because he's a great shot-blocker, too. I mean, maybe you put him at the four next to a center who can shoot, like Brooke Lopez or someone, and then he can cover up some more of their their defensive deficiencies in terms of shot-blocking or lateral movement. He's just so quick, and he's so smart, uh, and he just has really intuitive ways to score the ball. He's shooting 70% when he has no semblance of a jump shot, really. I mean, it's improved. The mechanics have improved because he was shooting like a blogger before this (laughs) season. If you look at uh, something I wrote on him earlier this year, I have a clip of him shooting at San Jose State where, like, I mean, it was no, it's no wonder this guy wasn't on NBA radars coming into the year. The reason he has emerged is because he's put up the second best box score plus minus ever, only behind Zion. Zion and Anthony Davis are the only two players with a better box score plus minus than him. Uh, he is tremendous at the college level. I think it's fair to question his NBA fit, though, even though he has great advanced stats, because it's like, I don't, like, if he was bigger, I I would be more of a believer, even though he's old. But I just don't know if he's going to be able to play, the, if he's going to have the size to play the five. So then, you know, you could have someone who's like Andre Roberson. Like, Roberson's been a pretty good player. Mm. I would still take an Andre Roberson type in this draft. But, like, I don't know. The the guy's thinking he's a top three or top five prospect. That scares me a little bit uh, just because. But, you know, if his jump shot comes around, he turns into a shooter, who knows? Obviously, the guy has really uh, just improved year over year. And, you know, we act like 22-year-olds are ancient in basketball when really you still have lots of time to improve yourself. So uh, he's, been, he's been a marvel. Terrific athlete, really smart player, shoots 70% from the field. Putbacks, he's got a spin move, hits floaters. Uh, 
but I do wonder about his NBA fit. That's fair. That's fair. But I mean, it's interesting because, like you said, if you put him next to a, a long range shooting center, it just kind of you have the old mentality of having like a stretch four, and then you have the defensive minded center. You can just flip it, and that would at least give him a, a advantage. That's very interesting. How about some of the other guys who also have like some H on them, like DeAndre Hunter and uh, – oh, I was looking at someone here. Um, he, yeah, it was, it, I was actually going with Romeo Langford, but I, he's actually 19. I, I thought he was a sophomore for a second, but he's obviously a freshman. But let's stick with DeAndre Hunter. What do you see from him? Yeah, I like Hunter. I think Hunter's got the highest floor in the draft. To me, he reminds me quite a bit of Michael Bridges. Villanova if I had to choose between the two I would probably take Bridges but Hunter's good I mean Hunter is a 3 and D NBA wing I do wonder like how high can you slide him up the lineup Uh, like is he going to be strong and tough enough to handle fours he's definitely got the length I think he's pretty quick uh and then, you know, the jump shot, too. He's been a great three-point shooter. I want to say he's at, like, 45% at the college level, but he hasn't taken many. His volume's low. So then it's like, how is he going to get his threes in the NBA? Is he going to be able to, like, run off – is he going to be, like, a runoff screens type of shooter where he's hitting him like J.J. Redick? Well, I don't know about that. Is he going to have to be a wide-open catch-and-shoot guy? Well, if that's the case, how much value does he have to bring defensively uh, to warrant a top-ten pick? So I like Hunter. I don't know how high his ceiling is. I think he's got a high floor. He's a safe pick. Everyone wants, you know, a three and D wing. Good ones are super valuable. It sounds mm. like you're like putting a guy in a in a box when you say that. But like, ask the Bucks how good Chris Middleton is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, to me, three and D guy, high floor. Don't know how high his ceiling is. Don't know if he's going to be able to run much uh, pick and roll. Don't know if he's going to be someone who's going to be able to drive the ball to the rim at the NBA level and score. Not totally sure how elite his defense is, but it'll be good. Uh, high floor, not sure about the ceiling. Interesting. So, so like you just said, he's a safe pick. So if you have a pick like in the seven or eighth range and he's available, you can't really go wrong there. Yeah. If you want to try to hit a double instead of a triple or a homer, I think that he's yeah. a good pick. And, you know, people might have said the same thing a while ago about Kawhi Leonard too. Like I don't think DeAndre Hunter is the next <laughs> Kawhi Leonard. I'm not saying that, but I think that he at least has a lot of the attributes that has that people have that outperform their draft slot in terms of length and shooting and just a seamless fit in the way basketball is played these days. Interesting. Then then going from a guy who's a safe pick to one who's definitely not, but who could have some high upside, Nasir Little from UNC. I mean, he came in with so much hype and, you know, he, he just hasn't had the numbers, but part of it may have been the system. Like, what's going on with him? Very similar to Radish, I think. Just his general understanding of how to play basketball <laughs> is just, like, missing. Uh, but he, he is young. I mean, there were times when Zion, if you watch the last UNC Duke game, Little was guarding Zion on the last possession Zion takes him in the paint, misses the shot, gets a rebound, puts it in for the game winner. But I thought Little defended him as well as anyone could have possibly defended Zion Williamson there. I still kind of like Little, even though he has no idea how to play basketball and he's been terrible statistically. Mm. Uh, I would still maybe believe in him at the NBA level if you really have a defined role for him. Like UNC is mostly playing him as sort of a spot-up shooter uh, 
in his minutes because none of their fives can shoot. To me, you want him also at the four next to a five who can shoot. I think that he has great defensive potential uh, in terms of versatility defensively. And then he's like a high-energy guy. He's a high-energy guy without feel, which is tough. Uh, But, you know, maybe that develops. I don't know. But I think he'll be really good on the offensive glass. You can make some parallels to Jalen Brown during his career at Cal where he looked like Jalen Brown, I think had the lowest true shooting percentage of any player in that draft. Yeah. But he didn't have a great fit at Cal. He had, you know, no shooting around him. Uh, He was also trying to do some hero ball type stuff that we talk about with Barrett when Brown was a Cal and Brown's not that way at all at the NBA level. He seems like a really heady player who's able to just play his role. So Uh, I don't know little, like he just isn't very good, but he's definitely physically talented Super long arms, really quick, plays hard. Uh, I still think, like, if you were to put him in a good situation where he's playing the four, uh, where you could take some guys off the dribble, where you, like, give him some confidence putting the ball on the floor and driving to the basket to beat closeouts, I still think he could be a decently productive player. I'm tempted to take him over Langford, who has been much more productive but can't shoot at all. And I just don't really see the path for Romeo Langford being a good NBA player unless he becomes a good shooter. Whereas I think that little impacts the game in more areas. Mm. So if you sat there on draft night and you, you, you're, you're on the clock and you had the opportunity to take Nasir Little or, or, or um, uh, DeAndre Hunter, like where do you go? I'd probably take Hunter. I mean, it depends on the team. I'm trying to think of a team where it'd be worth it to take little, like the Pelicans maybe, but even they have Julius Randle who plays a similar position. Yeah, I would would probably take Hunter just because it's like little is going to need three or four years. Like little might be good on Mm. a second team, you know, or his third team. But to me, Hunter, you could just, he's plug and play all the way, like. He can be a rotation guy as soon as he's drafted. That's interesting because we see that every year, like the the fact that plug and play players are just in in higher demand because you don't have to basically rebuild your roster around a, a specific guy. So just just to bring it back real quickly to Sion, do you consider him like a type of plug and play player simply because he basically plays without position and and he's just so well rounded, or do you pick Sion and just rebuild the entire team around him here's here's a zion take that i haven't thrown out there yet i think his peak is going to be much much earlier than most people i think he's going to be a stud from day one but i don't know like what does 30 year old zion williamson look like what does 27 or 28 year old zion williamson look like i think he's going to be ready to go right away and i don't know how much longevity he's going to have uh because to me he is like d rose level explosiveness from a standstill like his ability to just <laughs> go from not moving to being right by you is like seriously insane. It reminds me of D Rose, only he's literally 100 <laughs> pounds heavier. I think that probably makes him an injury concern long term. Yeah. Uh, and he's already so good that like, yeah, I, like I don't I don't know if Zion's gonna have a long career. That would be my my one knock on Zion. I don't know if he's really gonna be built to last especially given the fact that he's not a jump shooter. I think he will develop into a better shooter over time. Uh, but I think he's going to be – he might be a top 25 player in the league as a rookie or top 30 player in the league as a rookie. Uh, but 
his longevity, I, I don't know how much he's going to have. So yes, I, I do view him as a plug and play player. Nice. So even even if Sion theoretically only has like five or six years in in the league where he's just flat out dominant, and then after that maybe drops off due to a significant injury, like let's knock on wood that doesn't happen, but you still take him number one, right? Just to get those five or six years out of him. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Yeah. I think that he could be he could literally be the best player in the NBA one day. I think that's on the table. I think that it could happen by the time he's twenty four rather than by the time he's 29, is all I'm saying. Yeah. I think that he's going to peak earlier than, than a lot of guys. That's interesting. Well, how about we haven't touched on Kentucky, and I feel like this is the one year where Kentucky doesn't have like a clear-cut top-five prospect. So it, you know, they, they've fallen a bit under the radar thanks to the Duke kids. But are there any Kentucky prospects that you're really trying to keep an eye on in this tournament? Yeah, I really like P.J. Washington. He declared for the draft last year. The NBA guys told me to be a second rounder. Uh, as a freshman, he was so he came back for sophomore year. As a freshman, he was almost exclusively an interior player. Uh, 6'8", 230, 7'3", wingspan. So he's got good length and strength combo. Really comfortable hitting jump hooks in the paint. So he's got pretty soft touch. Uh, but he was a non-shooter as a freshman. He only hit five threes. This year, he's Kentucky's best shooter. He's knocking down at least one a game. He's shooting 42 or 43% from three entering the tournament. Uh, there's an idea out there now that he might be a wing in the NBA, whereas I saw him as a stretch five originally. So I think he's someone who has great versatility because of his length and strength. You can slide him all over the lineup. He's someone who's always been a good interior scorer, and now he's got an outside game complimented. I really like PJ Washington. Uh, I, I would I would draft him. He's a lottery pick to me. And then how about the other? It seems like the other two guys are at least in that first round conversation are Keldon Johnson and Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero, yeah, Hero is probably the more intriguing NBA player to me. Hero is a really good shooter who can zip around screens and hit shots. He's also actually held his own defensively when everyone thought that he would just get abused. He's got pretty good size, pretty good strength, decent athlete. Uh, so I kind of like Hero. He's the biggest swing guy for Kentucky. Kentucky can go to the national title, I think, in this tournament if Hero gets mm. hot. If he doesn't get hot, they're going to be in trouble because uh, they need they need the freshman to step up. And then Keldon is good, but he's just like kind of small as a wing. He basically plays as like a big forward who's going to bully people, but he's only like 6'6", 210. So I, his three-point catch-and-shoot ability has been pretty good. Uh, I almost wonder if we're sleeping on Keldon a little bit because he does lack a little bit of size. But, uh, you know, he's like, he's like a B or B-plus in every aspect of the game, I feel like. Like he can hit a catch-and-shoot. He can put the ball on the floor and get to the rim. Will he be able to finish over NBA length? And NBA size is a different question. Uh, but he's not bad. Like, I kind of forget about Keldon all the time. <laughs> and I would take Hero over him, I think. But, I mean, if you're getting Keldon Johnson after the lottery, I, I mean, I, I would grab him at that point just because his combination of youth, scoring instincts, and that he just doesn't really take a ton off the table is what makes him intriguing. Interesting. Um well, it seems like, I mean, we've hit on a bunch of prospects already, but are there any guys in that, like, post-lottery, you know, projected 20s range that are really catching your eye that you're, like, really want to see how they fare in the tournament? Not in the tournament, but to me, the most intriguing guy in this draft after Zion is Bull Bull. 
everyone's sleeping on him. It's crazy to me. The guy is 7'3 with a 7'8 wingspan and is probably the best shooter in the draft. And mm-hmm. no one's talking about him. He can't really move is the question. He has... He, like, you know how when you're scouting an NFL cornerback, they'll say he has fluid hips or some... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Well, Bobo does not have that at all. He can barely move. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> his length and his shooting touch is just insane. Like, he is such an outlier shooter with such outlier size that I think it's highly possible he could be the second best player in this draft. Especially wow. during a time in the league when... People are starting to play zone. He could be nasty in mm-hmm. zone. But, you know, if it's like yeah. switch Bull Bull onto a guard and then a point guard just runs right by him, like, yeah, that that's going to happen. And I think that that's why people are sleeping on him. And then he earned this reputation for being lazy. Bull Bull loves being a celebrity. He's, like, friends with all these rappers, like these young rappers. Uh, he really enjoys the lifestyle aspect, I think, of being a basketball player, which turns some people off, which I think is stupid. His talent level is through the goddamn roof. I think people are totally sleeping on Bull Bull. Potential to be the second-best player in this draft. That's the hottest take I got for you. He's not going to play in the tournament. <laughs> Oregon made it. He shut it down after five games. He suffered a foot yeah. injury, and he could be a huge injury, injury risk, too. He's got skinny legs, high hips. He has no center of gravity in terms of his weight distribution. Uh, but damn, he is so long and he is such a good shooter that I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being the biggest shocker in this draft. Interesting. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by him. I saw him play in preseason before you know the season got underway, and he had like I, I, I still remember he, he had the ball, I think, right inside the three-point line. Clock was ticking down, and he, he hit it's just a nasty long fadeaway. Like 7'3 guy with that mobility, was that, that was just crazy to me, the, the fact that he just had the coordination to do it. I think it's interesting to, to see what he can end up as. But now you, you just mentioned this guy, you know, Bobo, who's injured. Let's go back, and yeah, he's not in the tournament either. Darius Garland also just played five games. Like, what do we make of him? Yeah, I saw Garland play as a high school player on the EYBL. He was he's good for sure. Pull up shooter. Uh, like he didn't he his college production did not show that he's a really heady passer or playmaker. So that's my biggest question with him. Like, how good is he as a floor general? If he was really really good as a floor general. I think he'd be a top five pick. Maybe some people are assuming that he he is that good and that uh, his skill is better than his college production, which is why he's likely being projected as a top 10 pick right now. But he's so small. Like If we're talking about Morant defensively, mm-hmm. I have way more faith in Morant's defense than Garland's defense. Garland's just a midget. Uh, and like, <laughs> how is he going to be able to score inside against NBA length? I don't know. But he can pull up, shoot, and if he ends up being a really heady playmaker and passer, you could have someone who who could be really good. If anything, you know, DJ Augustine was a lottery pick. There was probably a time when people would have said DJ Augustine was a huge bust. But at this point, he's still starting for how deep into his career is he? At least 10 10 years or more. He's from the D-Rose draft. He's from the D-Rose draft, so yeah, Yeah. from 2008. Like... If Darius Garland turned out like DJ Augustine, I think that's a conservative estimate for him. And Augustine's had a good career, so 
you know, he, he could surprise some people too. You can put Kevin Porter in that mix as well, who's also not playing in the tournament and who also only played like five games in college. He's been in and out of the lineup. Super, super talented, I think. Reminds me a little bit of Zach Levine in terms of like he'll hit you with step backs. He'll have some like up and unders on layups that we're just like, holy cow, this guy is really talented. He can really get buckets in isolation, but it doesn't seem like any of his teammates like him. The coaching staff doesn't like him. <laughs> does that say more about USC or does it say more about him? But he's talented. If you're looking for guys who actually are talented in this draft, well, you know, RJ Barrett goes four on one. I think that Bull Bull and Kevin Porter Jr. are two guys to, you know, track a little bit. All right. So I have two big picture questions for you. One, you know, I, if you're not a huge college basketball fan, you're not going to like sit in front of your TV for the next four days. Duke is obviously a team to watch, but what are some of the other like top teams? Is it like UNC, Gonzaga, Kentucky, basically, that we should be watching from the NBA yeah. perspective? Uh, I, I like pretty much all the one and two seeds. Gonzaga's just awesome. Rui Hakamura is going to be first-round pick, too. He's a junior for Gonzaga. He, he His eye test is really strong, but his statistical test uh, isn't isn't as strong. He's basically someone who's got really good touch on his jumper, but who just doesn't really have a high feel for the game yet. He looks totally lost on defense, but he's fun to watch. Gonzaga as a team, I think, is just awesome. They got Brandon Clark in there, so you know there's your guy to track for the NBA. Love Michigan. They're the most balanced team in the country. They defend like hell, and they got two wings who just get buckets in Jordan Poole and Izzy Brasdakis. Both those guys could emerge onto you know the first round pick territory with big tournaments Brasdakis might already be there he's a freshman uh those, those are both like big strong wing scores well Brasdakis is a big strong wing scorer Jordan Poole is just swag overload he's like the most stylish player in the tournament but when he gets cooked he's super fun <laughs> to watch love Tennessee and Grant Williams Grant Williams Jordan Bone Admiral Schofield I'd say that's the s- second best trio in this tournament behind Virginia, if we're talking about from a college level, uh, who is DeAndre Hunter, Ty Jerome, who I love, and Kyle Guy. But uh, Tennessee, like Grant Williams plays power forward like Carl Malone does. So you would think that that type of player would be like totally outmodeled in today's NBA, but he's shooting it better. He's just a winning player. He's smart. He's strong as hell. He'll beat you up. He rebounds. I like Grant Williams as an NBA role player. Uh, even though it doesn't appear at first glance that he does have a modern skill set. Jordan Bone is kind of intriguing, too. He's a 6'3 junior guard who's just been crushing it lately. He's kind of a shaky shooter, but he's been making his threes lately, and he's really athletic going to the basket. Schofield's another guy, 6'6", 240-pound wing, uh, who's a, the team's best three-point shooter, who, who could be a second-round pick, early second-rounder. Uh, I like Ty Jerome on Virginia, very high IQ, 6'5 guard, slow, very slow, but he manipulates the pace of the game by himself uh, as well as any player in the country. He just gets to his spots, hits shots, really high-level passer. Ty Jerome's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there's there's a lot of fun teams out there. And um, my only plea for NBA fans is, like, drop the idea that there's an argument between college basketball and the NBA in terms of which is superior. Cause like I cover college basketball for my job, like the NBA is, it's like not an argument. The NBA is obviously the best, but college basketball is still fun. Right. And the fact that it's a single elimination tournament is super dope. 
And you just have a lot of games going on at one time, which is awesome, too. There's, you get to watch some NBA guys. Zion's a historically good prospect, in my opinion. So just soak it in. Like, who cares about NBA basketball in March? Yeah. You can watch the NBA in April and May. Yeah. Watch some college games in March. Broaden your horizons. It's just a fun way to think about the game and uh, to approach watching basketball. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. The, the, I mean, the first couple of days of the tournament, there's nothing like it because it's just like 12 straight hours of basketball for four straight days. It's the one weekend where like your your spouse and children just need to basically consider you dead for four days, which is nice. Um, but the, my other big picture question is, you know, like now is the time of year where every year we hear about like, oh, actually, this draft isn't that great. And we've been hearing of that about this draft for a while now. So, like, yeah, it's Zion and everyone else. And, like, yes, the top 10, there are a lot of question marks with all of these prospects. But then, like, you move down into that mid-late first-round range. Is it that there are just, like, it's basically a crapshoot and, like, you can't really separate between, like, the 12th and 30th best prospect? Like, do you think these guys have NBA upside still? Or is it, like... If you have the 16th pick, you're going to draft a guy and he's going to be out of the league in three years. Yeah, well, here's my selling point for this draft being better than a lot of people think it is. First of all, it starts with Zion. I mean, just having whatever your chances in the lottery are landing a superstar. I mean, he's as legit of a superstar as anyone I can remember coming through the draft this decade. But then everyone else, it's like the last draft was all centers. Who wants these centers? Mm-hmm. This draft is all wings. <laughs> so if nothing else, you have guys who fit kind of the positionless mold of the NBA, led by the most positionless prospect of all time in Zion Williamson. But like, I think a lot of these guys uh, could be good role players. I think that you know, there's just not like the top guys who were considered the top recruits coming into the country. Those guys have disappointed. Reddish, even Barrett, even though he's been productive. Romeo Langford. I don't even know if you guys know who Quentin Grimes is, but Quentin Grimes is a guard on Kansas who's supposed to be a top 10 pick. He's yep. like just a train wreck. Uh, but, you know, may- maybe he puts up a good tournament. Kansas is a four seed after they disappointed all year. Kansas has a stud big man named Diedrich Lawson who could be a sneaky NBA player too, uh, maybe in the late first or early second. So I like a lot of the role players in this draft. I like Jonte Porter who hasn't played the whole year. I kind of like Kobe White. I like Taylor Horton Tucker. I like Matisse Thibuel, who's a, a wing from Washington who just racks up steals and blocks. He's averaging 7.6 steals and blocks combined per game per 40 minutes. He's a total freak. Uh, so I like a lot of the role players in this draft, but I think that you know the top freshmen who are the top recruits, those guys have disappointed uh, to, to, a, to a pretty significant extent. But a lot of the veterans have good positional fit in the NBA, and I think uh, – you know, while they might not be total studs, they they could definitely. There's going to be some good players in this draft. Gotcha. Yeah, I, as a Sixers fan, with them having a late first and two early second rounders, that's that's what I was fishing for. I want to hear that there's still some talent that they're going to be choosing between. Um, Mort, do you have any final prospect related questions or big picture questions for Ricky? Only one final prospect question, uh, Charles Bassey from Western Kentucky. I have not had the pleasure yet of watching him. I've only read his stat line, which seems impressive, but he's slotted as the second rounder. 
uh, despite being just 18 and a half I years old. I can't give you so a good what scouting report on Charles Bassey. I wish I could, but that's a blind spot for me, too, playing for Western Kentucky. He was someone who, he was a big recruit. He reclassified to play college this year. He ends up going to play for Rick Stansberry in Western Kentucky because the check cleared, but uh, I don't... <laughs> I don't really know what his game is like. I'd be, I'd be making something <laughs> up if I, I tried to answer that, so I'm sorry about that one. All fair. No worries. Well, Ricky, thank you so much for, for coming on the pod. We enjoy it tremendously. Uh, this has been an, an annual thing now, so we're definitely looking forward to getting you back in, before the draft next year as well. Cool. Uh, yeah. Thank you for the information. Yeah, and just one more time, let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. Yeah, SBNation.com. Check out, I did a list of the top 50 players in the NCAA tournament this week, so you can check that out. That's a solid 5,000 words of writing if you're into, uh, you know, figuring out who some of these guys are. As the tournament starts tomorrow, check out my list of the top 50 players. You'll never guess who's number one. <laughs> uh, but there'll, there'll be some other guys in there who you can learn about. And uh, Twitter, SBN Rick, underscore Ricky, and all our, all our work is going to be on SBNation.com. Mike Rutherford and I will be covering the tournament uh until it's over and i'll be at the final four too in minnesota which will be really fun hopefully we get duke and zion in the mix cool man yeah well that'd be fun and also check out ricky and jason pat's podcast uh bulls podcast cash considerations which is one of the best (laughs) names for a podcast ever i love it yeah uh ricky good luck the next couple weeks i know it's gonna be hectic hope you can squeeze in some sleep somewhere uh but yeah good good luck kill it i know all your stuff is gonna be great and uh yeah we're looking forward to having you back uh, heading into the draft or next year. And everyone else, please follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio. So give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes. So please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker. So check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Teporek. And I was joined as always by Morton Jensen and by our special guest, Ricky O'Donnell. Have a good one, guys. Enjoy the first week of March Madness. You too, man.